everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. And happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. This time it's Thanksgiving. That's right. Last time was pre-Thanksgiving, before Thanksgiving, which I guess every episode of ours, except for perhaps this episode, is before Thanksgiving. Technically, this is before Thanksgiving, because it's before next Thanksgiving. But it's after 2021 Thanksgiving. All previous episodes have been before. That's right, yes. Anyway, Zach, do you have something that you are thankful for? Yes, Seth. I'm thankful for recently playing uh, a game, and that game is Minecraft Dungeons. Minecraft Dungeons, released in 2020, it's developed by Mojang Studios and Double Eleven. It's a dungeon crawler game set in the world of Minecraft. Despite the game's name, there really isn't much crafting or mining, but there is plenty of dungeons. It's a hack and slash style game, very similar to Diablo, but it's also a lot easier than Diablo. My understanding is it's easier than Diablo because of the demographics of Minecraft players. Minecraft does tend to skew toward a younger audience, so I think when they're developing the game, they didn't want to bring in the difficulty of Diablo, but rather just the the style of Diablo. But um, even though it is probably kind of pointed toward a younger audience, I'm actually enjoying it. Uh, I find the game fairly mindless, which allows me to like, if I want to play a game that I want to have like action in it, but I don't want to have to really think about the action that I'm doing I'm probably gonna play this game because it just allows me to like wander around and spam the attack button and just slice up zombies um so that's been pretty fun I have a question I have an answer so I'm a a Minecraft noob as it were Mm -hmm. I'm very illiterate when it comes to Minecraft okay is Minecraft Dungeons what's its relation to the Minecraft the regular game so it's by the same company Mojang yeah and it has the same aesthetic okay so it's like everything's blocky and uses the same art style and it has some of the same monsters that you might encounter in the actual game minecraft so like the zombies and skeletons are the same as in minecraft uh, the creepers there's also creepers yep creepers uh there's this group called the illagers who are like evil villagers Ooh. And they have like uh, crossbows and stuff there in this game. There's like witches and stuff. So it's all the aesthetic of Minecraft, but without the actual mining or crafting part. Gotcha. So it's like Minecraft, except you're just slicing. It's its own genre just set in the world that have been created the kind of lore that was created around minecraft there's a uh, a, a telltale series about minecraft as well have you played minecraft that? adventure mode or whatever it's called yeah have you played it i have not it's also on netflix the Telltale game? Yeah, it's one of these interactive... Oh, that's fun. The, the like weird Netflix games? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's on Netflix. Like, I think it's like the first season that they did. That's interesting. It's also not very good from what I've been told. Yeah, I've been told it's not very good But if good it's on either. Netflix, I might play it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's on Netflix. <laughs> it's for free. Free is for me. I mean, this has been pretty fun. I'm also technically playing it for free. It's part of Game Pass, so I've been uh, playing it as part of the, the free Game Pass months that i've been given whether or not i'll want to revisit it later after game pass has ended for me or if i ever decide to keep up game pass uh, i don't know yet but i do quite enjoy it uh, i do think that the game so there's no like classes in this game which i'm kind of more used to in the diablo style dungeon crawler genre where you have like a class that you can kind of expert in this has no classes it's just like everything's based on the type of weapons you get the type of armor you get you know the better weapons the better 
armor you find, the better you'll do, which kind of makes the game, I don't know. It's just like the progression is not the same as when you play a game and you have to like hone your craft in a specific class of character. So you're not like trying to become the best wizard of the bunch. You're just a guy who has a sword. If if you have Game Pass, check it out. Or if you like Minecraft, check it out. It's got all the minecraft elements to it it's also an unreal so it runs considerably better than actual minecraft does which is in oh, java that's funny so it runs like incredibly smooth where like actual minecraft isn't java and runs poorly but what about you seth well uh recently i actually played through a game that i once saw at pax and i'm not sure if i saw it at the pax that we went to or if i saw it at a previous pax but that game that i saw was mon cage and i'm not sure if i talked about it before as a game that we saw at pax or what have you i remember this at pax i don't remember talking talking about this at pack okay i thought this game was super liminal both super liminal and mon cage were at pack i remember seeing mon cage and thinking it was super liminal <laughs> oh that's fun yeah i'm a big fan of mon cage so uh it was released in no on november 15th of 2021 and i surprisingly i think i figured out yesterday that it was released so i started playing the first time through and i, I didn't get very far and i quit but then I came back and then I just got sucked in and I played four hours of it and beat it in those four hours. Uh, well, I, I'll caveat that I beat it one way. So this game was uh, developed by Optillusion and published by XD. And they are it's a, a puzzle adventure game where you are spending your entire time looking at this cube and each face of the cube and you only get to see one of the sides you never get to see because it is on the ground it's the base of the cube and then you get to see the four sides uh, around the the vertical sides and then you see the top and making a cube that's how shapes work uh, the and each face has a different almost like a little diorama built into it and you have to essentially move your perspective around so that different areas of the different dioramas overlap so that one thing becomes two things become one thing so it's kind of complicated to explain but pretty easy in practice the first thing you have to do is you you open up a chest and in the chest there's a toy car and the first diorama is this broken down vehicle pulling a like load of supplies in the snow and so what you have to do is turn the perspective of the camera so that the toy car lines up with the broken down vehicle and then it becomes a different new vehicle that then can drive up the snow and carry its load overall it's a, a pretty fun game obviously I, I spent four hours playing it it's very like the puzzle it's at the level of difficulty that I feel like it's at an easier level of difficulty I got through most of the puzzles without any hints i did have to use their in-game hint system towards the end they do also kind of give you hints they'll give you a couple and then they'll put you in a timeout where you kind of have to wait like a minute before they give you another hint so you can kind of think about the puzzle and sometimes just thinking about something really helps with being able to solve and figure it out i like the term they put you in timeout. They do. They do put you in timeout. They perhaps even a cage. A, a mon cage. Some of the puzzles that I liked were ones where you had to uh, 
change the time of day or the light to change the color of the item so that it would match another color of another item in a different diorama. So maybe there would be a fire or there would be a light and it would make an item orange and then you can line up that orange with another orange item. So I always thought that was that was kind of cool. But I, I played through it. I beat it. I got one of the endings. I did not get the secret ending, but I got, I think, a, a pretty good ending and uh, I, I beat it. So I'm, I'm proud of myself with that. I'll probably go back and try and pick up the remaining. You have to collect these like postcards and you have to get 15 of them. What's fun is when you beat the game, it starts the game all over again from the first puzzle and you just roll through the puzzles again so oh, you fun. can kind of get through the game faster you, it's kind of almost it gets to like that point of like sudoku level kind of puzzles you know like that kind of like just doing puzzles for the sake of doing puzzles mm. i also think it's fun that um oh you can get an achievement that's what i was thinking you can get an achievement if you can beat the game in 45 minutes you get an achievement mm fun it it took me four hours so obviously i'm not the brightest bulb in the shed but well neither of us are so yeah that's why you don't keep bulbs in sheds well today we are talking about uh, a game that is not really related to any of the games that we've been playing it is a game that is massively popular like minecraft and it's a game that has squares in it, I think, like Montcage. <laughs> anyway, uh, today we're kind of doing a follow-up on our Quake episode that we did uh, not too long ago. This time, though, we're going to focus on one particular game that was spun off from Quake originally as a mod. And that game is Team Fortress. Right. And uh, this episode, we're going to dedicate around Team Fortress Classic, which is very different than, well, I wouldn't say very different, but it is significantly different than Team Fortress 2, the very popular sequel to Team Fortress Classic. Right. Uh, right. Team Fortress Classic originated its, its roots in a mod where Team Fortress 2 was built independently. So to start everything off, as we usually do with just our memories, um, I don't have that many memories of specifically Team Fortress Classic. It was one of the many games that I would play during that time when we were playing a lot of mods. So like Day of Defeat, Counter-Strike, Team Fortress, Ricochet, uh, all those different weird Half-Life Quake mods that all kind of came out around the same time. Team Fortress was kind of tossed in there for me. I believe at some point in time there was a period when Valve picked up Team Fortress and had Team Fortress Classic on Steam or available through like their through their catalog. Like you could buy it at the store as Team Fortress Classic by itself, but it didn't run on Quake. It would have ran in Gold Source. By yeah, it ran on Gold yeah. Source, and that's the version of Team Fortress Classic I was familiar with. So I. I didn't play the Quake mod. I played the Gold Source Team Fortress Classic Edition. At the same time, I was playing like Day of Defeat, which I preferred personally. I like Day of Defeat. It's a fun mod. We'll talk about Day of Defeat another day. And Day of Defeat, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what Day of Defeat is, it is a World War II uh, mod that was off of the 
Half-Life in the Gold Source engine, which as I think as a child, I always felt like they were mods of Counter-Strike, but since Counter-Strike itself was a mod, it was... <laughs> Kind of, I guess. A mod of a mod of a mod of a mod of a mod. I mean, my memories of Team Fortress only come from TF2 because I got into playing TF2 uh, around the time that it went free to play, which we'll talk about a little bit. And I do actually own a copy of Team Fortress Classic. I've played a little bit of it. I actually got this because there was a period of time where I played a lot of Half-Life 1, which I've discussed multiple times. And there was like a point where I wanted all of the Valve made Half-Life 1 mods mods so i bought a bunch of them when they're either on sale or i just spent full retail i bought a bunch of them so i have like day of defeat team fortress classic counter-strike i think i have a ricochet somewhere it's just i have all these like in steam i have all the the half-life one like valve games that were That's built fun. on that engine just because i needed them for some reason i don't think any of them had like even when i bought them i think their servers were all pretty much like down <laughs> so like i think team fortress classic had maybe like 30 servers running i think ricochet had three so maybe one day we'll talk about ricochet i did also play a lot of tf2 uh, I played at least 40 hours of it, but I played a lot of it before Steam tracked your time, so I have no idea how many hours. I would have to look up my Xfire account and see how many hours it was on my Xfire account for Team Fortress 2. According to my total times, I have 87 hours in Team Fortress Ooh. 2, which is four hours longer than I have in Half-Life 1. So yeah, as I mentioned, going a bit into the history of Team Fortress, in our Quake episode, we talked about how Quake became a game that was modded by a lot of different people and we talked a bit about how it was the starting point for other games like for example the half-life series one of those games that got its start based in quake was everyone's favorite hat collecting simulator team fortress before it became one of the most popular free-to-play first-person shooters team fortress saw its birth in 1996 as a mod for quake and this mod was developed by robin walker john cook and ian coffley together they called themselves Team Fortress Software. Now, Walker took on the role of lead designer and coder. He also created some of the maps in the game, such as the map that would inspire the popular quote to the number Fort, unquote. Cook worked as the managing director uh, and coder on the project, and Coffley was a software engineer who also took on the role of business management. For those who've played Team Fortress 2, Two Fort is the one of the most simplest maps in the game, but it's literally a fort on one side of a river, and a fort on the other side of the river, and there's a bridge in the center. So there's yes. two forts. And in Walker's original design, which was in the Quake engine, it was even simpler, where these forts were like just squares with your team colors on them and then a bridge in the center you know but you don't necessarily like look at blood gulch you don't really need a complicated map to you, have don't, fun. you don't you don't and i think just because something simple doesn't mean it's bad you know right it, it, it was a, right. it was a simple thing but with a game like team fortress and we'll talk about gameplay later sometimes simple is the best what i like is that um back in this time there were like people making mods of games with 
and they were just like little baby companies where they're like our entire company's existence is predicated on making this one modification of another game yeah they had a person who was in charge of business management and they were just like a modding team yeah which i don't think happens that much anymore i I definitely don't think so well forgotten city definitely came around that way right but i don't know i guess it does happen a little bit after the mods release it was brought over to quake world id software's official update that added better net code and online improvements and they began to work on a standalone title in the modding scene a standalone title is exactly what it sounds like a game that does not require the base game to play sometimes mods will be released as standalone titles despite being built on the engine of a previous game after spending some time working on the sequel that they had planned to call team fortress 2 valve software reached out and valve hired the entire team and asked them to write a port of Team Fortress to the Gold Source engine that Valve had used for Half-Life, which is the version of the game that I ended up playing. Now, this version of the game was released on April 7th, 1999, and an updated version was released on June 9th, 2000, called... Team Fortress 1.5. Valve is obsessed with point versions of their games. Oh, yeah. Valve does not like round numbers for games. No, Valve <laughs> loathes round numbers. The updated version added new sounds, weapons, enhanced graphics, updated models, new maps, and an updated user interface. Valve also added new netcode that they had planned to implement in a game that they had started work on as well. This game was Team Fortress 2, but not the one you're probably thinking of. Because Valve's plan for Team Fortress 2 was to have a modern war aesthetic. Uh, One of their ideas was to have this command hierarchy where you would have the commander class. Uh, You could also call in parachute drops, and there was going to be a real-time strategy element where the commander could control other players and AI soldiers via commands from a top-down perspective. This version of TF2 was teased at E3 1999, where Valve was excited to show off some new techniques that they were implementing for animation in the game. Uh, specifically, they're playing around with some new like molding that you could do with 3D modeling to make the animation look a bit more lifelike. A year later, the game was delayed. Now, if you're thinking about what Team Fortress 2 looks like now versus what Team Fortress Classic looked like, they are two entirely different looking games their core gameplays are very similar but team fortress classic looks very much like a, a half-life mod it looks like color coordinated counter-strike so thinking about going from that leap to a like a commander with parachuting and stuff like that isn't too far-fetched versus if you think about where the team fortress 2 ended up being and became what it ended up eventually becoming though however after the game was delayed valve really during that year they kind of took a break with team fortress they shifted their focus to half-life 2 and developed a new engine the source engine the source engine unlike gold source was much more advanced it had improved lighting more realistic item physics player ragdolls and improved texture mapping in fact there was a game called gary's mod on that's available and you could do some ridiculous things in the source engine it was one of the first engines that i interacted with as a player that had some really cool physics aspects including a lot of like 
like physics-based puzzles. Not only did Half-Life have physics-based puzzles, but also Portal as well. So Source was a huge step up from Gold Source. Absolutely. And during this time, Walker and Cook both went to work in various different positions and on various different projects at Valve. And I think we talked about this previously, but Valve is a weird company. They are what's known as a cabal. So in Valve, it's a, a very flat leadership model because nobody is the leader. What happens is that members of the company will sit down and talk about a project that they're going to work on and they'll say like, hey, we need somebody who's good with art. And somebody will say, I really like this project and I'm good at art. I will be your artist. And like, that's how Valve goes and makes games. They have to get buy-in from a majority of people. They have to build a team and then they work on the game as that team, which makes some quality games. It also slows down production. (laughs) So it wouldn't be uncommon for like, if Walker and Cook were obviously skilled, it wouldn't be uncommon that they would just go work on a different project if they weren't working on Team Fortress. That's how Valve's culture kind of works. Walker ended up taking project lead of Half-Life 2 Episode 1, and Cook would work on Valve's new content distribution system, Steam. Fans of the original Team Fortress had assumed that the sequel they were hoping for had become Vaporware, similar to what Duke Nukem 3D fans had accepted about Duke Nukem Forever. Vaporware is a terminology where essentially a company, I I would say, what, lies to you? (laughs) Yeah. Or at least creates enough assets that makes it look like they're doing work, but they're actually not really doing anything. Or they're delaying it. There's always constant reasons. And there could be a number of reasons why vaporware is a thing. Mostly, I would blame vaporware on scope creep Uh. and also technical issues that are usually caused by scope creep and also um, competing priorities of management. Um, So those are a couple of reasons why vaporware kind of exists as a thing. I mean, and sometimes it's unavoidable things. I mean, there's stories of companies who, for example, Duke Nukem Forever, which started out life as a 3D Realms game and then 3D Realms went under and ended up bouncing around to different, you know, people who would work on it. Yeah, but I think there's a big difference between an intellectual property going away because of company issues and vaporware. I feel like, so like XCOM is a great example. XCOM was a Microprose property. They released a bunch of games. Microprose went away and the XCOM property went into limbo and eventually was bought at auction and 2K picked it up and they just sat on it. But like XCOM fans weren't like, waiting for an XCOM game to come out. It would have been different, though, if, like, Microprose teased an XCOM game. Right. And then or they went Or 2K under. did. <laughs> yeah, or 2K did at the very beginning. And just didn't do anything yeah. with it. Like, there are games out there, and I, I won't go into specifics because there are some games that are controversial that are currently out there that are considered a little bit of vaporware. And I'm sure you possibly, the people listening at home, can think of a couple of games. But essentially where a company goes out makes a promise about a certain game and uh, they don't create it and time is linear so if you don't create something today you'll have to create it tomorrow and if you don't create it tomorrow it's already going to be next year and the companies will just let projects kind of slip away anyway so people thought that team fortress 2 was going to be vaporware however it was not and both team fortress 2 and duke nukem forever were released eventually (laughs) team fortress 2 was released before duke nukem forever was (laughs) released It came out much sooner. Much, much sooner. There was not that much of a lag between the two. And 
unlike Duke Nukem Forever, Team Fortress 2 was not bad, where Duke Nukem Forever was very bad. But now, Team Fortress 2 was released on October 10th of 2007 and was part of Valve's Orange Box Pack. The Orange Box was probably the best value for a video game period oh ridiculously good yeah 100 percent. what i recall with my memory it msrp'd at like 50 bucks and it comp- it compiled half-life 2 episode 1 episode 2 a new physics puzzle game called portal and team fortress 2 so you get three half-life games portal and team fortress 2 which funny enough team fortress 2 was the only i was just thinking about that i don't know when i was thinking about it but it wasn't like the other day where i was just like leaf raking and had a thought about <laughs> how many how many games You're staring happened out the window to, yeah, I was, coffee and you said Whoa. i was like how many games got sequels from the orange box <laughs> And all of them, except Team Fortress 2, because Half-Life would it get Half-Life. It would not get Episode 3. No. Nor did it get Half-Life 3. Those two don't exist yet. But it did get Half-Life Alex, which I would say is a s- sequel to Half-Life. It's, it's a sequel to Half-Life 1, prequel to Half-Life 2. It's a Half-Life game they developed after Half-Life 2. Yes, that's fair. Half-Life 3, by the way, is vaporware. Now, this version of Team Fortress 2 that came out in the orange box took on a vastly different aesthetic than the first Team Fortress game, Team Fortress Classic, and the Team Fortress 2 that Valve had demoed. The characters had gone from being these more realistic looking, I mean, I would call them realistic looking in a sense. I mean, they were blocky like textures back in Gold Source days, but they looked like people, uh, to being this like stylized, cell shaded, almost cartoony proportioned, almost caricature of characters in this new game. The sequel also added various new gameplay modes, uh, with more being added over the course of the years that followed, because Valve updated the game on a pretty regular basis. Some of the modes, though, included Payload, where you push a cart with a bomb, and Payload Race, where two people push a cart with a bomb, so you have two teams competing over who gets their bomb to a location first, and Man versus Machine, which is a player versus computer mode where you fight robots. The game would later go to a free-to-play model in 2012, which allowed the game to be downloaded for free while microtransactions were added into the mix. So a microtransaction, for those who might be listening and not sure what that means, because you don't have those in retro video games, but a microtransaction is where you might buy the game or download the game for a set price or for free, but in the game, there are things that you have to pay for, such as uh, cosmetics or loot boxes or uh, weapons. So Team Fortress is really the first game I know that really did this, I think, effectively, even though it's like identical to how everyone else does it to the day. I would say they did it fairly. The way Team Fortress 2 did it made more sense because when you downloaded the free-to-play version, the moment you made your first microtransaction purchase, you were pretty much given a, like your copy was no longer considered a free-to-play copy. It was considered a retail copy of the game, which actually allowed you perks over what the free-to-play version had. So like, for example, when I got Team Fortress 2, I downloaded it for free. I bought a knife for 99 sense and my version was considered equivalent to those of people who bought the game in the orange box right but i bought my game in the orange box and when the game went free to play they gave me a bunch of stuff also a bunch of my weapons were valuable from orange box that you can't get 
anymore. I've yeah, since yeah. sold every single one of my Team Fortress 2 weapons that I got with the orange box for their own prices. I don't know if I made back the cost of my orange box, but I, I have certainly sold off most of the stuff. So to talk about the, the gameplay, Team Fortress, the original version, was a, a team and class-based multiplayer online first-person shooter. In the Quake mod, there are a few game modes. Two of these modes from the Quake mod would stay consistent through the series. The attack defense mode and capture the flag attack defend players on one side of the map must attack players on the other side of the map the attacking players have a goal of capturing points while defending players defend said points capture the flag both players have equal proportion maps and both have flags of their team colors either red or blue and players must capture the flag the most number of times within a time frame while also protecting their own flag the game features nine classes that a player can choose from the game, the classes that go through are the scout, the sniper, the soldier, the demolitions man, the combat medic, the heavy weapons guy, the pyromaniac, the spy, and the engineer. Many of these are self-explanatory. The last class was the civilian, which was primarily used for escort or um, protect the VIP type gameplay, which I think they got rid of when they moved to Team Fortress 2. I think they really replaced the civilian with a cart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you have to push the cart, which is probably in Team Fortress 2, one of my favorite missions. In fact, my Team Fortress 2, I think it's still by, it's my Steam handle, I guess. My like clan tag was Pushkin because we were always Pushkin the cart. The uh, Scout was a, a quicker moving unit. They generally were able to, in the classic version, be able to disrupt the spy. The sniper had a sniper rifle. The soldier would have explosive yield weapons like a rocket launcher the demolitions man had grenade launchers and grenades uh, the combat medic was able to heal the other people in the class or the other people on the team uh, the heavy weapons guy would have some manner of repeating heavy machine gun and the pyro or the pyromaniac had a flamethrower the spy was able to sap engineers turrets and various engineers constructibles and they were also able to look like a member of the other team um and in team fortress 2 they have the ability to go invisible and then engineer they're able to build turrets they were able to to build teleport pads and sentries and ammunition. So they were able to build all those things. Now the sequel, Team Fortress 2, keeps all these classes. Uh, it does, like Seth and I mentioned, it removes the civilian, though it kind of replaced the civilian with, with the payload. It also added a couple more game modes, Control Points, King of the Hill, and Payload. Uh, control points is similar to attack and defend, but now both teams are fighting over the same control points. So instead of one team pushing a team back to the edge of their base and capturing points along the way, both teams are kind of vying for control of multiple points. King of the Hill, where there is one central point and it must be held for a period of time. And then the payload, as described earlier, uh, features a big bomb that must be moved from one portion of the map to the other. And there's a variant of this called Payload Race, where both teams are trying to push the payload uh, from one portion of the map to the other, and both teams are trying to prevent the other team from getting the payload to the end. Uh, I think payload is probably my favorite of the modes. Uh, one of my favorite things to do was my friend would play a lot of 
as a medic and i would play a lot as heavy and i would just camp the top of the payload which a lot of people do and that's a that's a common method but it was always very effective with the both of us because he was a very good medic i meanwhile was a very bad medic there has also been other modes added to the game uh so there's kind of over time as i mentioned team fortress 2 has been updated and there's been modes added for special events such as the halloween mode seth kind of lied at the opening we are going to talk a bit about team fortress 2 i think a little more than team fortress classic but uh there also was a story added to team fortress 2 and it's told pretty much primarily all through promotional material that was used to introduce the character classes and the occasional comic that were released uh, both physically and digitally to summarize though the story follows the conflict between two brothers, Redmond Man, spelled M-A-N-N, and Blutark Man, who were both left equal shares of land and a company, Man Co., from their father. Both brothers would then hire mercenaries to try to fight each other to claim the land and the portion of the company that they believed was rightfully theirs. Now, over the years, these two factions would form the Reliable Excavation Demolition, or Red Team, and the Builders League United, or BLU Blue Team. The combat is overseen by a woman named Helen, who goes by the title of the Administrator. And she's assisted by Saxton Hale, who looks very much like a buff shirtless Teddy Roosevelt with a crocodile Dundee hat and is the president and CEO of Manco. Uh, Hale provides resources and weapons for both factions. So both factions are working for Manco, are paid through Manco, but are always constantly fighting each other. All of the Team Fortress 2 shorts are available online and they are hilarious. You don't need to have like played Team Fortress 2 to understand them. I just recommend you watch all of them. Meet the Heavy and Meet the Sniper are probably my two favorite, but they're all, they're all good. They're all worth a watch. Um, they're kind of like the Overwatch shorts that were done, but I think they're a little more tongue-in-cheek than the Overwatch ones were. They're definitely... I mean, I feel like Team Fortress 2 in the story takes itself more as like a tongue... I think the whole, bit, the whole game's kind of tongue-in-cheek. To do the numbers, it was hard to find down the exact numbers on the first Team Fortress as the Quake version was a free download. Team Fortress Classic was also free to owners of Half-Life. The game has held an 85% on the game rankings website and also a 9.8 out of 10 by the PC Gaming World magazine. Team Fortress 2, much more easier to track. The orange box alone sold around 3 million copies by the end of 2008. Since it was released on the Steam platform, it's estimated that around 50 million copies have been downloaded, which is based on a game industry article back from 2018. Despite the free-to-play model, Valve has has also made a good chunk of change. The reason being is because Valve quadrupled their player base when they moved it to the new free-to-play mode because people like my brother would play a free game and maybe they'd buy something, which would be money that they would otherwise not have. Changing the game from a, whatever the current MSRP at the time was, 40 or $50, to a free-to-play mode not only quadrupled their player base, but also quadrupled their revenue from items being sold in their workshop. One figure noted that Valve had made an estimated $139 million in 2013, a year after they moved to the new model. The Steam platform also allows players to sell items to each other via the Steam Workshop, which Valve, of course, takes a cut out of. Team Fortress 2 users alone have made an estimated $3 million by selling items, which Valve will take a percentage of at the end of the day. And I imagine it's not that low of a percentage. Yeah, I don't know the exact 
percentage at the top of my head, but I know like, for example, if I sell a card for three cents, I'll get a penny. Right. And Valve takes the other two. And Valve takes the other two. So imagine that now. Not all cards sell for three pennies. Some sell for like $14, $15. And some of the items in Team Fortress 2 can sell upward to $14, $15 more. I've seen stuff go for like $30 to $40. So now yeah. imagine Valve taking a cut of that. I think this is one of the reasons why Valve doesn't get too much flack from its microtransactions is because all of its microtransactions are pretty small dollars. You very infrequently see a very expensive item up for sale on the marketplace. It's also driven primarily through, you know, like me selling something to you versus it's like a craigslist the thing is valve has is quantity valve moves a lot of three cent two cent four cent units you know i could be like i got 20 bucks today i'm gonna spend 20 dollars on team fortress like i'm just gonna buy a bunch of team fortress hats like and they're all they're all gonna cost me like 10 cents and i bet you anything that people have set up automation and bots and stuff to do this for them i've put like team fortress has the the manco crates which are the like loot boxes i've put those up for sale for a cent and they've sold the moment i posted them there's actually a plugin that i had that um allowed me to batch list my entire library at any time for the pr- a price that would auto sell like it would be like this is the current trend this is what it's been selling at here's where you need to put your item at to sell it within the next it's like if you want to make x number of dollars set it here and this is when you'll get it or set it here and you'll you'll get it maybe in a week kind of thing um but yeah i used to make like in a week i would make like 20 dollars. so it's not a lot of money if i'm selling all my stuff online for $20 in a week but a none of the items I paid for that I I didn't buy any of the items I sold they were given to me right I collected them through playing the games so I just sold off things that I didn't need through playing the games b 20 bucks is almost halfway to a game if you're i'm essentially subsidizing a video game which i'm going to spend on steam so i'm going to give steam their more money back because i'm going to buy a game on steam that they get a cut up anyway steam gives me stuff to sell on their platform which they get a cut of and then i go and take the rest of that money back and i go buy a game on their platform which they take a cut of so at the end of the day steam it's like a it's like a promotion really i'm not making money off of steam i'm sure maybe somebody smarter than i can make money off of steam but not me oh so that's that's team fortress we we did touch a bit upon team fortress 2 talked a bit more about team fortress 1 uh i think team fortress is such a great multiplayer game and i think it really helped build the style of multiplayer games that games like overwatch and such would soon spawn from uh which is the you know team-based multiplayer game uh which and class-based multiplayer game which you know i think is very cool and of course we would also see like mods and stuff come out of just team fortress in team fortress 2 so there are games like fortress forever which is a attempt to recreate the team fortress classic but in a like source engine um so kind of take what team fortress 2 could have been if it became a if it was a logical progression from the first game and then you have things like uh people still running private servers for the quake team fortress or people still running servers for team fortress classic so it's got this massive fan base out there and um i think it's a great game and now i feel a little nostalgic maybe i'll boot up my copy of team fortress classic or tf2 at least oh yeah at least tf that game's huge i don't know it takes like 40 hours to download 
Anyway, Seth, would you like to move on to the Byway Pass? So as a quick recap, the way the Byway Pass segment works is that I pick a game for Zach. Zach picks a game for me. We describe the game to each other. And then through the magic of editing, we get our first takes on it. So I don't know what game Zach has for me. He doesn't know what game I have for him. He's going to eventually describe it to me and I'll describe the game I have for him. Then we'll look it up and we may find something that we we may like. We may find something that we may not necessarily like. It doesn't mean that if we pass on a game, it doesn't mean that the game is bad. It just means that it's not our cup of tea and that the other brother chose poorly. That's true. So do you want to go first? Do you want me to yeah, go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. So this game, Seth. Hold on. I'm not listening. I just have to. Please turn on your listening ears. My listening ears are on. This game, Seth, is an action adventure game. I would call it similar to like a platformer in line with Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie, Ukulele. It's not necessarily a -a collect-a-thon, but it's got kind of that vibe to it. It's a third-person game. In the game, you are playing as an animal who's uncovering a cosmic mystery. Are you interested? Sure. This is called Platypus Adventures. So we're going to take a quick break as Seth does some research on platypus adventures. We are now back. Uh, So according to Steam, this game doesn't look like other things you've played in the past. (laughs) As such, we don't have much information whether or not you might be interested in it. Uh, So it is a a cute uh, 3D platformer. I don't necessarily know if it's something that I would play. I might buy it, but I I don't know if I'll play it. So I'm not going to put that down as a buy. But Though it's something that my wife might be interested in. I think I'm always on the quest to find video games that my wife may like to play and i think this would be one of them so i may not buy it to play it but i may buy it to have her play it i'm gonna put it down as a a pass with the caveat that i'm probably gonna pick it up for my wife so the game is you're gonna have to build fight farm and explore experience your own path whether it's building the home of your dreams or tending to your crops and watching the sun go down or explore the mysteries of the island and the darkness underneath, but you may want to take a sword. Huh. What game is this, Seth? It is Lens Island. And we're back. So this game, Lens Island, looks pretty neat. It's being developed by Flow Studio and published by Flow Studio. It kind of reminds me of like a top-down, less scary version of The Forest, where it's a lot of like collecting and crafting and constructing a home. And I like those kind of games. I like games where you can just kind of hang around and build and craft and it actually looks despite the threat of potentially monsters which it does have it looks like most of the game is pretty peaceful and just kind of like chill chillaxing until you have to fight creatures i'm gonna put this down as a wait i want to kind of get an idea kind of get a vibe out from people once it's out but it looks very nice to me so i think i might at least consider it it's due out this friday so i uh i did want to mention that uh platypus adventures will be out in 2022 so my thoughts may change by then and it's being developed by fig tree digital all right that's gonna do it thank you everyone for joining us for tonight's episode on team fortress 
And uh, thank you again for listening to us. If you need to find us, we're available on all the available uh, podcasting applications out there. If you need to reach out to us, you can do so via our email, classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or through our website, classicgamingbrothers.com. We're also available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our Facebook and Instagram are Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. You can also find us on Twitch. And if you'd like, um, you could support us by giving us reviews or liking us on any of the podcasting applications out there, um, such as iTunes. You can leave us a review on iTunes. That would be fantastic. I think that's it, uh, unless I'm forgetting anything, Seth. Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. right. Professionals have standards. Be polite. Be efficient. Have a plan to kill everyone you meet.